Hello, lords and ladies, Boltons and Starks, Mormons and Karstarks, Free Folk, Umbers, Masters, and the Mirrorneys. Hello, infantrymen, cavalry guys, and phalanx shield dudes. Hello, and welcome to another wonderful week of Watching the Thrones. This is a special episode. Your ears are in for a real treat. If you've never seen Game of Thrones or you aren't a fan, get out! Leave! This is the Cool Kids Club, and you are not invited. I'm your host, Blake J. Graham, here with my co-host, Tony the Dreadwolf Rizzo! Hi, Tony. Hey, Blake. How you doing today? I'm doing... I'm just splendid. We're here to talk about... Game, Game of, Thrones. of Thrones. The TV show? <laughs> yes. Okay. Season 6, Episode 9, Battle of the Bastards, the Bastard Bowl. It's finally here. Did Get they actually hyped. name the episode that? Is it it's called? called the Battle of the Bastards. Doesn't that seem like that's completely fan service? Like all the other ones are like cryptic, you know, sentences. They're like Oathbreaker, The Wars to Come, Little Fingers, Big Move. And this one's <laughs> just straight up called the Battle of the Bastards. Wasn't that what it's called? It the book? is. Uh, perhaps. The Bastards Letter or Bastard, something? Didn't well, you there say was a, this earlier? There's a Bastards Letter, yeah. Oh, I guess, so, okay. So I guess it follows that, yeah, they would just They throw it. around Bastard in, in the books a lot more than I right. do in my normal life. But of course, it's the Battle of the Bastards, as you said. So we're going to start in Marine. Marine. There you go. <laughs> What's happening in Marine, Tony? So last we left off. The masters had come back to take their property, oh. aka all the slaves, all the unsullied. They're looking at Grey Worm. They're looking at Misenday. They want. They're him. looking at Tyrion because he's running the place right he is, now, and they're looking down at him. True. That's a joke that we'll talk about later. <laughs> <laughs> but we also ended with Danny showing up, uh, Kramer style, walking to the yeah, room. Just hey, what's up? It's nighttime. She's it's dark on, out. She's on the Drogon Express. She just pops in. Uh huh. We start this episode. Daytime. 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 Time has passed. <laughs> Who they knows how much time? But we assume that the masters of Yunkai and Astapor and Volantis are still just laying siege over this entire night. And Danny, Danny has dragons. She said, yeah, let's just kind of hold up. I traveled away, a ways. Yeah. Let's let him do something else for now. So Drogon, we assume, flies off to rest, to snack, to eat, get some R&R, some well-deserved R&R. But in the meantime... Tyrion says... Hey, look how great things are since you left. Yeah, he says, <laughs> didn't I make a lot of progress? Despite the current situation, uh, Marine is on the rise. Things, things are looking, are looking up. up. Things are looking great, which is funny because they're being attacked. And so I, I saw that and I said, they're they, defenseless against this they don't seem so naval great. bombardment. They have, they have absolutely nothing they can do, right? Not so, it turns out. Not so. But we do have this little spat between Danny and Tyrion because it's kind of like, hey, I left you in charge. And it's like, the, you know, the kids threw a party and then the parents came home and it's like, what'd you do with the place? And they say, no, that vase with Uncle John's ashes in it, it's not broken. It's all OK. But it turns out that it is broken. But Danny's got a plan. She's just going to annihilate these cities. Just burn late. everything. Burn their fleet. Burn all of the cities to ash. Burn them all. Burn, burn them, them all. all, I'd say. <laughs> and. And Tyrion's not having that. First of all, one, because he's di more diplomatic. Right. Secondly, because he um, kind of very pointedly brings up what we've seen episode after episode, which is that Danny's father mm -hmm. wanted to burn King's Landing. Right. Including places like Main Streets. 
the Red Keep, and the Sept of Baylor. There you go. <laughs> so, uh, you think we're going to see any of that uh, play out in, yeah. in the future? I think, again, we've been talking about this before. We've talked, so we've got this is going back to the Mad King. We've talked about the Mad Queen theory last week with the idea that Cersei's going mad. And, and the Mad King, her father, actually went so far as to create these stores of wildfire uh-huh. under these strategic locations. They're like bombs waiting to go off. So again, yes, very deliberately, we have Tyrion mention that there is wildfire, wildfire ready to explode under the Sept of Baylor. And it's, it's feeling less like a Mad Queen theory and more just like yeah. it's inevitable. They're At foreshadowing point, they, it too heavily if, for this not to happen. She decides to still burn, not all the cities, but some of the, the, most of the stuff. They do, they go, they're going to do some burning, but before that happens, we get a quick aside. Everyone's hanging out, not in Marine, but on a hill next to Marine. And so the sea clearing. Just, yeah, there's a little clearing. There's a little tower. It's kind of mountainous, kind of like a mountain to the side of marine sort of situation. Thank you for setting the scene here. Yeah. I didn't see the episode. Skies are blue. Skies are blue. We've got two people on opposite sides. We've got Tyrion. We've got Dave. We've got Grey Worm. Three people. We've got four. Danny. And then on the others, well, and then there's a couple of other in Sully. <laughs> I think there might be four or five. Uh-huh. I'm going to call them Taco, Paco, Rocco, and Sacco. They're all hanging out over there. On the other side, we've got those people from the slave cities in their eyeliner. What's we've face? seen them before. The other one, um, dark eyes, that and guy, smoke eye Mackenzie and a bunch of their, um, compadres mm-hmm. who are, who are slaves. And so they come out and Tyrion says, we're here to discuss terms of surrender. And then smoke eyes, Mackenzie says, you know, we're, gonna- what are you talking about? We have you surrounded, not surrounded, but we have total upper hand. Yeah. Here. They're, they're like, why would we surrender at this point? Yeah. They're like, that's great. Your surrender, right? You're gonna, we're gonna kill the dragons, we're gonna slaughter them, you're gonna give us back all the unsullied, you're gonna give us back Mies and Day, and they're gonna be sold to the highest bidder. And they say, no, 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 you're surrendering, not us, because wild card in the background, we see Drogon flying out into focus. <laughs> Drogon looking better and better as every episode passes, bigger and better. It's like the butt, he's he has gained some budget to go to the spa. And get a couple of cleansing treatments to really define his feature. He's uh he's getting bigger, he's getting better. So he appears looking at, swole. They say your reign is over. Danny says, My reign has just begun. She hops on his back and they go for a tour. They fly over the city. And Drogon being around suddenly inspires the other uh Viserion and Rhaegal. They pop out of their little dungeon. Yeah. And join them in the air. What's what's going on here? They they give you a nice off. swoop of the city. Uh-huh. They're ready to kick some butt. Yeah. So they well, the, it's great because they pan right. They fly right over the gates of Marine and we see some people on the ground. Do they attack them? No, no. We get a quick be. cut right down to them. Sons of the Harpy are attacking the people that decided to hang out outside of the like gates of Marine. women. So first of all, Sons of the Harpy are now outside the gates of the city. And there's also a lot of locals outside the gates of the city, even though we've established that a siege has been going on for the last at least 12 hours it's been it's gone from night to day night to day and so it's like oh man these washerwomen they're gonna get slayed but out of nowhere well they do get slayed i I, you gotta admit they there was a lot of killing there yeah they (laughs) they weren't doing so well they managed to make it the first 12 hours but after that it finally the sons of harpy just (laughs) overpowered them uh out of nowhere comes dario and the horde the horde the dothraki horde the screamers with their sickles and they are on their horses and they are going... They're chopping heads. A whole horde of them is here to kill the 15 or so sons <laughs> yeah. of harpies that are right there. Did they... Do you think... They didn't show this, but do you think they then went to proceed into the city? I don't think... Uh, their momentum, I think they broke down the door just 
full steam ahead and and so now they're down so they're just scattered through the streets of marine killing people left and right no until they slowed down enough oh it's just a momentum thing yeah it was just inertia okay you gotta keep going you gotta keep going and then they stopped and they said okay we've got the whole horde the whole horde took out these 15 people the land war is settled we're done that's right but the water one has not been been settled because there's still these ships with their fiery trebuchets and uh, i mean what's what could they possibly do to them? Horses don't like water. So what's what's their uh, what's their resolution, Tony? How does that play out? You have dragons. Oh, okay. So so what we thought was going to happen last episode when you see Drogon swooping down onto mm-hmm. the ships happens this episode where he mm-hmm. swoops down onto the ships and he sprays them with dragon fire. Yeah, it takes all three of them and they only sink one ship and it takes but about very mu- very demonstratively. Right. But it does take around 30 seconds or so, I'll say. True. Danny says Dracaris at this rate if there was a, you know, 150 ships uh-huh. or so, it it might take a couple of hours for all three of them to go ship by ship and keep but They don't really have any defense against it. That's like if right. you, unless you're expecting dragons, which it seemed like the Sons of the Harpy kind of were. Mhm. That's last season. From, yeah. Was it was it the same episode or was it episode ten? It would have been episode nine, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Same same situation, but they were kind of expecting dragons, and they kind of they did some damage to Drogon. Right. Of course, you're referring to the the big fighting pit sequence where Drogon appears, Danny gets on it, and eventually rides away. But it seems like the Sons of the Harpy are ready to actually take on a dragon. They spear him quite a bit. Yeah. But these guys in the ship, they have no defense against it. No. They the just have their trebuchets only goes to, go yeah. so far. And you got to work weapons. the angles. Yeah, it, it's, it's just it's way too light complex. The pitch on fire. I mean, it's no, it's, it's an not ordeal. happening. Uh, but what it does mean is they they take out this one ship, and it means that every other ship they they spend so much time on it. Every other ship gets to see what's happening to this one ship, and they decide no, thank you. Well, not quite. So let's go back to that side of the, the uh-huh. pyramid. Okay, so what's going on over there now? They're still negotiating. Okay, and so uh, again, we've got two sides. We've got Tyrion. We've got Misende, we've got Grey Worm, we've got Paco, Taco, Rocco, and Sacco. We've got what's his face, the ugly one, Smoke Eyes McKenzie, and Eyeliner Craig, and I believe others, perhaps. Probably. Um, okay, so now I've set the scene again. Grey Worm. Skies are blue. Grey Worm says, "Hey, by the way, you guys are losing. If you want to just drop your swords and not fight for these masters, masters." Go ahead and do Starting that now. Slaves. He's saying, you know, now's your chance to get away. And You're they not- do that. They get away. Okay. And so then Tyrion offers them, you know, the terms of surrender. Pick one person to kill. Because okay. we, we have to take one person. Like, you got to give us at least one. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right? It's kind of like fair. It's kind of like the hound bargaining with Beric. Right. You got to g- give us one. And he says, in this scene, he says something that I do like, and I think this is fruit for analysis. He says, it, it always seems a little bit abst- abstract other people dying as he kind of delivers this, which I think we'll get into later about the concept Mm -hmm. of other people dying for different people's fights. But so yes, continue. They ask for one person. And so of course they, these two guys offer up, um, smoke eyes, McKenzie, smoke eyes, McKenzie. They say they, they happen to drop that he's lowborn. He's not like us. He doesn't speak for the masters. Uh And so then gray worm proceeds to cut the necks of the other two masters because obviously they would prefer the lowborn person. It's uh, it's a situation where, hey, they were going to kill you. Now you have a lot of incentive to be on our side because right. they definitely did not respect or represent right. you. Right. And now you're the one alive. It's like Sophie. I don't know. The Sophie's Choice. is that? It's not like Sophie's Choice <laughs> at all. Have you seen like, that movie? I have not. No. I'm not sure what Sophie was choosing between. But I on think- our next podcast, we <laughs> analyze Sophie's Choice. <laughs> Stay tuned 
for a preview Starting right after this episode. Okay, so th- that's all that happens up there. So they're now. Well, yeah. Then they were they recruit the guy that survives to go back to the. Tyrion this, says, "Tell the, the tale yeah. anytime. Re- re- tell the people what happened here. What happened when Daenerys Stormborn, unburnt, unbound, unbroken, came to Marine with her dragons? Um, and now you're going to be in charge, and you're going to be loyal, and you're not going to try and create any more slave rebellions. Mm-hmm. And a great thing now, it seems like because they only destroyed one of the ships." She's now going to keep the rest of the ships. Yeah, so they 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 cut off the the leadership here. Mm-hmm. By I mean, they actually like cut them off, um, slit their throat. And so and so that means motion. that you have a situation where the people just give up. They stop fighting, uh-huh. and then you have access to the ships. So now she's got some ships. But wait, there's more because there's some other visitors who are on their way to see Danny. Who uh, off screen, Theon and Yara and their whole huge fleet show up because it would be. Too much in the budget to do another whole I was fleet. Say, this arriving is an expensive episode. <laughs> Unless they just use Microsoft Paint to redraw the harpies on the front of the ship. Copy with, and paste. Yeah, I could. I think I could have done it uh, realistically. Uh, but yeah, so we now have this scene in the throne room of the pyramid uh, where we've got Danny and Tyrion in front of them as Yara and Theon, and essentially they're making their case to say, "Hey, we came with ships. Uh, let's be buddies." And uh, how does that work out? Deanna has a past with Tyrion, and Tyrion is happy to bring that up again. Oh, yeah. We're going so, all the way back to season one here. Deanna made fun of Tyrion a little bit, and uh, now he's not looking so hot. Mm-hmm. He's meek. He's timid. He's, he's reek. He's reek. He's still, well, he still has remnants of it. You can never unreek yourself. <laughs> you can take the boy out of the Winterfell, but you can't take the reek out of the boy. And so Tyrion kind of hazes him. I, I don't know. As an audience viewer, I didn't really appreciate it. It didn't seem to lead anywhere. Okay. And it... You didn't get a little Obviously, bit of joy out of it? No, Tyrion, no. I, Kicking Reek been while he's down? through so much, and Tyrion's, like, just kind of being an ass right now. Well, I will say that there is a fair point, which is that not only in Tyrion's interactions with Theon, but definitely in the stories of Theon and what he's done and what's been communicated with the world, how he took Winterfell, how he betrayed the Starks, it doesn't make him necessarily a trustworthy person mm-hmm. to make an alliance with. And it, yeah, he does. It, it, what's known about him is very much in the Greyjoy template of this is a terrible person. Right. Not a good person. Things have been. A, and, and he doesn't. I, I assume that Tyrion isn't necessarily privy to the fact that he was tortured for years. And so that sort of penance and coming around isn't isn't known to him. Mm-hmm. So Danny says, OK, you want me to support your claim to the Iron Islands? Uh, no, no, he said, no, 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 not me. My sister's. Yara. Because our uncle killed our father uh-huh. and is not happy about a woman leading the Iron Islands. Right. And Danny says, has there ever been a queen of the Iron Islands? No and more than Westeros. That's right. Or do you want to just act out the scene? <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. I will be Danny. And I'll be Yara. Okay. Has there ever been a queen of the Iron Islands? You are hot as fuck. Oh my goodness. Let's get it on. I'm going to give you the old wink eye. Give me the old wink eyes. Bounce. Wink, guys, let's do it. You know what? Give me a handshake. Let's do a let's do a nice Roman handshake. And they agree about uh, and scene. And Sorry, <laughs> and scene. Just to clarify, now I am back to being Blake. I'm no longer Danny. When you hear my voice, don't think of Danny. And Tony, are you still in character? A little. You know, I never really leaves. Okay, I'm never out. Who the world is but a stage. That is true. You are the Daniel Day Lewis <laughs> of this podcast. I've been saying that for years. Did you know, dear listeners, that on half the episodes, Tony plays both parts, my <laughs> voice and his own? I, I never show up, uh, but Tony does a great job of playing both parts. Okay, before we leave this scene, there is a really nice moment where Danny says, 
you know, all of our fathers were terrible people, which is mm-hmm. true in the room. We've got Danny with the Mad King. We've got Tyrion with Tywin. And we've got those two Greyjoys with Balon. Not necessarily the greatest fathers, but we want to leave the world better than we found it, which mm-hmm. is a nice message. But it's the only thing that's connecting Yara with Danny, Right. I mean, so it doesn't make any sense for a person who is trying to conquer Westeros and consolidate it as a kingdom, as an empire, uh-huh. to align themselves with people who, whose sole purpose is to dismantle and disrupt that empire. Right. Right, exactly. So really, I mean, Yara's in a tough position here where she has to, if she does ever go back to the Iron Islands, she has to say, hey, we're not going to really disrupt whatever's happening in Westeros. Right. We're certainly going to sow here. Yeah. We're, and do the Greyjoys sow? They do not sow. They do not sow. They do not sow. But one thing that is sort of interesting that's kind of uh, historically, like if you think about like what are the seven kingdoms, technically I believe the islands and the riverlands used to be like a consolidated union but then split apart um so i think there's really like eight kingdoms overall if you if you count them up Mm -hmm. so it is kind of interesting and the iron islands have kind of always had their like own independence pride thing and they've just kind of been off in pike so no one really cares so it is kind of interesting that this does kind of bring them back into the fold in a way that they probably wouldn't respect like a Joffrey or a, a Tommen or a, or a Robert Baratheon mm-hmm. sort of thing. It's, it, it would be a big change for the Iron Islands. I expect the show is not going to get into that at no. all. I, I have a feeling the but, show will be over before we can look at the fine yeah, geopolitics it's, of it's these mostly, It's mostly the, the main result is that uh, Danny now has, by Tyrion's calculation, just enough ships. Just enough. Just enough. We don't have the exact count where Daria was like, we need a thousand ships, and Euron's like, we've got a thousand ships. Or the other way around, yeah. however it was. Now Tyrion just says, we're not going for a specific number. We have just enough ships combined with the ships they took from the Masters as well as Yara's. And they fleet. do mention that uh, Euron's on his way. Yeah. So that's, I'm looking forward to seeing that happen. Yeah, there might be a sea battle if there's budget for it. Or maybe they'll just kill him off screen. Yes. <laughs> Who's to say? All right, let's move on from Marine. I've got nothing else to say here. Let's go to the main event, the titular Battle of the Bastards. We're going to start not with the battle, but with a little bit of a side parlay. So we saw this in our recap of, of last, last week's recap, mm-hmm. which w- it had the, um, a similar sequence happen between Renly and Stannis before the siege of the Stormlands. Right. Um, so it's very common for the opposite sides to have a little chit-chat before they send people to However fight. weird it is, I guess it's something that happens Tradition. in Westeros. Tradition. Uh, and in this case, John kind of pulls out his one move, mm-hmm. which is to say, hey, we don't have to fight. Yeah. You know, I'm outnumbered. You have the advantage strategically There's by no men. There's no reason all these numerically. people should die. We don't have to worry about that. Let's just you and I fight. Mano a mano. And... Tet a tet. Ramsey's not having that. Fromage a fromage. I should say this is Ramsey facing off against Jon Snow. That wasn't Don't know clear. if that's been established. These are the two, Those bastards. Are the two bastards. Ramsey Snow, now Ramsey Bolton under royal decree from King Tommen, and Jon Snow, still Jon Snow, no royal decrees to give him a Starky name. But that's right. So they're facing off. They're looking at each other. Ramsey first addresses Sansa before she addresses he addresses mm-hmm. Snow, which I find is interesting. He says, "Oh, Lady Bolton, so glad to have you home. Everyone surrender." Um, but that doesn't go over well. And the conclusion of this little face-on-face parlay is Sansa says, you're going to die tomorrow. Sleep well, Ramsey. Mm-hmm. And then they all kind of clip-clop off on their little horses. 
Uh, and is there anything else there? It's just, it's, it's setting the stage. These uh, are the stakes. Here are the players. We get a nice shot of uh, Lady Mormont glaring on her horse. They play some psychological warfare. Okay. Uh, not that it matters much once people actually face off, but Ramsey relays that he has Rickon. Mm-hmm. And right. um, John tries to get in Ramsey's head by offering him to fight one-on-one. Right, which so there's a little Ramsey, bit of Ramsey, of course, declines. Declines, because yeah. he has the numbers. He has the, the home field advantage. He has the better trained troops. He has everything going in. So I've got a question for you, Tony. Because Ramsey says, hey... It, you know what the people say, John? You're a pretty adept fighter. You're a nice competitor in the field mm-hmm. of battle. How good of a fighter is John Snow? Like if Fantastic. We, if we compare him to like the, the, the greats, you know, where does he stand up? Is he better than his father was? Is he better than uh, the Hound? Is he, is he you know, Arthur Dane level? Where, where do you think he stands up in the ranks? Or is he just pretty adept but not, not a hero? So I think John is actually fantastic. We've seen him in a couple, a couple of the, this is a thing Game of Thrones does. Uh, episode nine of the season, they tend to have big, big battles, big battles, big events happen. It's where they spend a lot of their budget. And we've seen the uh, Battle of Castle Black. I don't know what it's actually called, but when they atta- attack the attack Night's the Watch. Wall. Yeah. Um, and John defends himself against hundreds of uh, wildlings. Right. Many of the men who are now fighting True. beside him, and which says torment. how adept he is. Yeah. And then uh, last season we had Hardhome, right? Which he fought against whites, uh, White Walker, White Walker, a White Walker, and he he killed it. Mm-hmm. He's done it. He's done it uh, in a bunch of different scenarios where he's fought one on one with people, and he's mm-hmm. done really well. And uh, you know, you kind of get the sense of this in the TV show where he's talking about. Um, with highborn people, mm-hmm. they, they don't have to fight like a lowborn person does. Sure. They, they do a kind of a soft version of fighting where they don't actually get injured. If you're a lowborn or a bastard like he was, uh, you can actually get in the nitty gritty and bruise people. And this, and this is kind of when we, we look at, you know, when Braun talks about fighting, the sort of, you know, that's not fair sort of fights that like in a couple episodes ago, yeah. we had Pod kind of bringing up like you wouldn't do that sort of thing. Or if we go back even further, which was in one of our previous episodes from the wheel of thrones we had Bronn and jamie training you know doing that sort of one-on-one thing that Bronn fights a little dirty the lowborn people fight with all they have they're not doing this high flute and sword swinging uh thing all the time they bite and tear and growl and rumble so you'd say he's a pretty adept fighter yeah what would you say i i think he's pretty good i don't know where he stack up stacks up in the list and i think this episode and we'll get into this shows that he uh he's got some good skills he's also got a lot of luck on his side at times um, but he is he is a pretty adept competitor, and, and Ramsey wouldn't stand a chance if they had resolved it with a one-on-one conflict there. But how about as a military strategist? Let's go to the to the war tent scene the back war at room. camp. Yeah, and, and, and what they're planning. It seems like he's got a couple of strategies that he might have picked up from his father uh, and, and some other things. Uh, what, what's that scene like? So one of the things he does is, he, I mean, he lays it all out. Mm-hmm. We have 2,000-some-odd men. Yeah. We're facing a force of... 6,000, which is what Ramsey said. Yes. They have archers. They have pikes. They have horses. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all ready for us to fight them. Um, our one defense is going to be what Davos says, which is to wait till they charge. They have to charge first. They have the numbers, so we need to be patient. That's what he says. We absolutely need them to charge at us. And John justifies that by saying the reason he tried to get in his head, get in Ramsey's head, get him angry, because he wants him coming, on, coming at them full bore. 
And they also have the flanks protected by trenches. Right. So in the event of a horse uh, cavalry charge, they're not, they're not going to be encircled. Right. So obviously, not two, things, two things you want to do. Yeah. They call it a pincer maneuver, which Tormund doesn't quite understand. But the, a lot of this episode was words Tormund, that Tormund did. <laughs> like, an idiot what? for comedic effect. Yeah, which uh, kind of felt like shitting, punching down. But well. so, so the two things we have here are, one, don't charge. Two, don't get encircled mm-hmm. by other troops. Right. Going into the Because fight. when you have inferior numbers, those are the absolute basic rules of this mm-hmm. strategy. Okay. And... Good plan. Uh, so, but Sansa's still not happy mm-hmm. because she says, well, we don't have enough. Men. After everyone leaves, she says, Correct. I didn't get a chance to say anything. No one let me speak. You yeah. should listen to me. I, you knew this man, Ramsey, for one conversation. I lived with him. I am his wife, she says in her voice. Uh, and then what else did she say? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, can, we can't attack with this amount of, this amount we of men. Enough, we don't have enough people. We need more men. We need more men. And John says, where are we going to get more men? And Sansa is very offended by this question. Just and, <laughs> <laughs> and leaves. And he says, I'm going to protect you. And she says, no one, no, can, no one can protect me. Any, no one can protect anyone. Oh. It was like the mic drop at a poetry slam. It was really good stuff. Okay, so now we're outside the tent. We've got Tormund and Davos. They left the war meeting. Mm-hmm. They're walking around. And I actually really like this because I... My theme for this episode was I like thinking about the common man. I'm on the common man's side. There's a lot of common folk who are fighting these battles. I mean, you said the numbers a second ago. There's 6,000 on the Bolton side. We've got 2,000 odd. Less than half that. Yeah. yeah, less than half that. These That's a lot of people. Those Poorly are, equipped, th- fewer horses. That, that's, that's, that's such a large amount of people to fight this battle that's really just between these couple couple of guys. It really is. It's a personal battle. It's and a personal he's, battle. he's not wrong when he says one, only one of us has to die. Right, yeah. It's not about numbers. L- it's about L- just a clash of personalities here. If, if, and, and, and again, there are two families. It's, it's not even like there are two giant families. They're essentially two fallen families at the end of their lines. So it's like if Ramsay dies, the Bolton line dies. If Jon Snow dies... Sansa's claim becomes weaker. The, the, like, it all just falls apart, and the Boltons will have the North. Like, really, only one of them needs to die, and all these men will immediately switch allegiances mm-hmm. to probably who, except for the wildlings, but all of the Northern folk will just fall in line with whoever's left over. Like, that, that's, it's as simple as that. So there's so many people involved, and all these people are, they're going to go fight. It's going to be a nasty fight. So we get a taste of, you know, what do you do the night before a fight? And so Tormund, his strategy... Uh, is to get drunk. Drunk on like curled goat's milk. Sour goat's milk. He <laughs> says, this isn't like that wine you Southerners have. I like that he, that he still calls all these people Southerners just because they're from south of the wall. Um, we're going to get real crunk on sour goat's milk. And Davos says, I don't like to do that. I like to walk and poop. Walk and poop. Great pre-battle strategy by mm-hmm. Davos here. Um, a little bit interrupted his pooping. Uh-huh. I assume. We, we never see it. We happens don't off, see it. Happens yeah. off screen. Um, by him happening upon the spot where Shireen was killed. Right. And uh, I don't know if you watched it this way. You get a little, like, last time on Game of Thrones yes. situation, and it does Literally show exactly Shireen's. that. So it was very clear. Because, again, the viewers these days are stupid. So w- what could happen? What, here's what we see. If we don't know anything about the game show, we see this guy, bearded guy, Davos, he walks up to a bunch of sticks, and he picks up a small... Burnt. What, uh, it's a stag. I was going to say, it's a burnt stag. Oh, I think it was a bird. No, <laughs> I think it was a small a bird. bird. Oh, I'm sorry. So he picks up a small bird stag. <laughs> and the bird stag. And the then classic. he looks back at the camp. You don't know anything about Game of Thrones. 
what's that all about? But we know that that was the stag that Davos gave to Shireen, who, mm-hmm. is, who is Stannis Baratheon's daughter, who Melisandre burned because she had king's blood in order to give them An extra advantage. power in the battle that Stannis fought against the Boltons last season. On the same field. On the, yeah, literal, literal same situations where you're just doing it again, different people, different stakes this time. Um, so we, we get Davos interrupted, and he's seeing, he's not so, he's not, so, he's not yeah, thrilled. Not much of it, not much comes of it. I guess it's laying, laying the groundwork a for a, a possible future conflict. But at the same time, Melisange, the person that he would be upset at, isn't involved in the war room. We only see her talking in this episode. We only see her talking afterwards to John. Right. So it's after they've done their war room scene. John goes and visits her and says, why weren't you in the war? And uh, what, 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 what happens there? She, she basically says, well, I'm really just a um, servant of the Lord of Light. If he wants you to win, you'll win. Jon Snow, mm-hmm. uh, I trust in you and I trust in the Lord of Light. She, says, she finally says a line that we see from Thoros of Myr, um, which is that I have no power. I only have like, I only have what the Lord of Light gives me. If the Lord mm-hmm. of Light wants something, which is kind of a different tune from the way she was planning things beforehand. So again, last time around when she burned Shireen, it was very much so like, I will do this. I will channel the Lord of Light and will mm-hmm. give you fortune. Now she's sort of taken the position where, like, I'm just a vessel. If it happens, it's because the Lord of Light wanted it. It wasn't because I have the power. And this might just be a phase that uh, priest, red priests and priestesses go into after they bring someone back from the dead. It might just be sort of like a, a they're, they're maturing. John, John very poignantly asks, asks her to not bring him back if he dies. That's right. And she basically says, no, I might bring you back. Right. Depending. Again, it's based on the Lord of Light. And she even says, maybe you only have this small part to play. Maybe you're here to yeah. die again. Maybe you were brought back just to die again. Like so many characters have been brought back just to die on this season alone. Who? Oh, let's talk about. Um, oh, oh, not brought, brought back from the dead. Brought back narratively. The show. Okay, narratively yeah. by the showrunners. You know, the Blackfish, Asha, many, many more. It, it's it's incredible to see. I was like, are they just was, were they talking to us? Are we the audience? And that's that's what's happening here. Anyways, so oh, you know what? Actually, while we're talking about people that were brought back from the dead, sure. So, um, in this these whole camp scenes before uh-huh. the uh, battle, we have Sansa talking, which to, we will get to eventually. Yeah, if eventually. We have time. Uh, yeah, if uh, time allowing, battle of the bastards. We might talk about that. Sansa talks to uh, John about Rickon. Yeah. And she she basically pegs him as a goner. She says he's the only um, true born heir to the throne. You're a bastard. I'm I'm a woman. Neither of us have strong claim. He has There's the strongest no, claim. No way that does he as a bastard. No, no, no I'm sorry. Rickon has the strongest. Oh, claim. Rickon. Yeah, yeah. And so there's no way Ramsay allows him to survive because him just being is such an existential threat to any kind of bolt and hold over the north that there's no way he survives for the same reason that. Uh, Ramsey killed his younger brother and his stepmother and his father to essentially extinguish any sort of threat because he, he's very much of a control freak over there. And I, I believe her, but I was just thinking people brought back from the dead. Benjamin Stark technically is alive mm-hmm. and he would have a pretty good claim to the throne. So he, he, he basically died. He's no longer a Night's Watch if, if we go along the same lines of John. Yeah, this, this might be tricky. Uh, I think it's one of those... So, yeah, given his death, it might 
be sort of like an open contest where you would look for siblings of like the oldest upper tier. If there's no one below, you go sideways then. And Benjamin Stark being a brother of Eddard Stark, that he would have the purest Stark blood yeah. versus Sansa who would have to marry somebody or John who's uh, half blood. Right. This seems like you have a compelling theory here. So hopefully <laughs> we will get a scene later <laughs> where Benjamin comes to comes back to claim what's and his. And they do a king's moot. <laughs> situation <laughs> to to take what you heard it here first is. that is definitely happening this on is this a, show that's a hot take benjamin stark coming back for winterfell something that i would like to just also point out as being interesting in this so again like you said in this episode when we have that sansa and john talking essentially sansa says rickon's already dead we can't think of him mm-hmm. like i know ramsey he's gonna kill him a couple of episodes ago when we got that letter the bastards letter that first came in you know Sansa's main thing is we have to do everything we can to save our brother. So our messaging has changed a little bit in the past couple of episodes as the reality of war actually. This is dark Sansa. This is dark Sansa. Yeah. Her hair might be red again, but her personality is black as it ever was. I think it's time to go on to the darkest part of this episode. The part where not all men are coming home to their families for a nice bit of soup and stew. little uh sour goat's milk they're not going to be having that in the morning because it's the battle of the bastards and the battle Ooh, of the bastards do it starts let, let's get a round of applause Ooh. studio audience are you ready Ooh. we love you guys thank you thank you it's time for the battle of the bastards Ooh. all right again all right, this go. is good There's this is hype. good we've got everyone lined up this is an old school medieval battle People are standing on one side of a field. They got lines of uh, specialized troops. That's right. People, they've got their tasks. They've got their roles. They're standing on opposite sides. There's a big gap in the middle. For some reason, the Boltons have lined up a bunch of flayed men on burning axes. So I don't know who had the time to do that. I guess they were just like first to the battlefield. So it's like uh, dibs. We get to decorate it. Um, Because I think it was purely decoration. Was that intimidation? Was there any strategy in that? Intimidation. Because it doesn't have a strategic value. And I don't were, think it's really stopping anyone. So something that I was curious about, there were flayed people on them. Where did they get, did they flay some of their own people to put on them? Did they capture some of? Who knows? Okay, did they just have some cadavers back in the morgue and said, yeah, hey, Ramsey was probably just having fun. Let's get these off of ice and, and get them on the, the axes. All right, not important. So they're lined up and we know that Jon Snow is going to wait. He's going to wait it out. He'll wait days, weeks, months if he has to he's so, just gonna play the waiting game. yeah the big thing here is that uh the bolton they got the bolton forces outside the gates of winterfell that's right. winterfell is huge huge and, and if you're holding for a formidable siege, it's it's very warm if you're in the cold you're not gonna last mm-hmm. so as a, as a place to withhold a siege it's fantastic yeah but they got the bolton forces outside the walls that's the big hurdle that yeah and that, so the, the thing, this next step after step after that is to Kill hold them. your ground <laughs> oh okay yeah <laughs> full charge ahead um but uh, Ramsey throws a wrench in this by parading out Rick and Stark uh, uh, all tied up mm-hmm. and basically saying, hey, we're going to play another game. On a long lead line. He's got a nice long rope. Um, but does he use that long rope? Not so much. He cuts him free. And as you said, they're going to play a game. What game is this? Yahtzee. Mancala. Hopscotch. Hopscotch. Jenga. Jenga. No, it's more of a... Uh, I'm going to kill you game. Okay. The type that Ramsey enjoys playing. The type that you are also a little bit known for. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the rules are pretty simple here. All right. Um, Rickon was let free from his, from his ties. Great. Excellent. Fantastic. 
And, uh, you know, he's free to go to John. Okay. He just has to run. And he has to not get shot by one of Ramsey's arrows. Okay. So that seems like there's a couple of wrenches in this. He's got to run all the way across the battlefield. Pretty long distance. Uh-huh. I'd say it's maybe about three quarters of a mile or so. And his odds improve if John meets him halfway. Right. So, which he immediately tries to do. So John gets on his horse, Shadowfax, and says, Shadowfax ride. But that might be another fantasy world. And he, he bolts out to the center. So again... We talked about how he needs to hold his ground, but he's just going out solo, so yeah. that's okay. So he's going to go and run and meet him in the middle. Ramsey's shooting arrow. One arrow, fired, misses. Second arrow, Ramsey looks to the side at the fellow and then just fires it blind. This is just one for fun. Misses. He just wanted to give the guy like a wink, and it's the yeah, arrow it's just, a little, it's just a little fun. Just a little, little wink fun. to the, the audience. You know, this is good. Another arrow. Third one. Looks like it might hit. Takes a lot of time loading it up, mm-hmm. aiming. You say, okay, for sure this one's going to hit. Right. The, the, the space between John and, and Rickon is rapidly getting, collapsing. Yes. The, and the energy's going. My heart's pumping. My thumbs are, are just gripping the couch in terror. And so out of the blue, a uh, fourth arrow just hits Rickon, and he dies. Right. Right as, as John's about arm outstretched to grab him, grab him just straight through the chest. And Ramsey so, was toying with him the whole time. John's now really far drawn. I kind of liked it because it was a little surprising because you didn't see they did the three. I'm going to charge up this arrow on the fourth one. No charge. Wait, is that what they call it with an arrow? It's a charge. You, yeah. you charge it up. That's what he, every, he shouts Boom. out. Charge. Yes. Release. Yes. Charge. <laughs> thrust. Poke. And so on this fourth one, it just kind of hits him right through the chest. Um, Perfect shot. I had no faith in Rick on here. No. For one, because he's running straight. Straight ahead. No serpentine. You gotta. You Arrow gotta 101 do a is serpentine. Tag. Arrow 101 is serpentine. And secondly, because we don't know anything about Rickon, and as um, Sansa said, he's basically he, dead. He could have also run behind one of those flaming things and hid behind that. Just hid there for a little th- bit. Yeah, at least to stop. I mean, I think there were options. But again, he wasn't a very bright boy. We don't know that much about him. And also not so bright is uh, John, because now he's right in the middle of this big space clearing in the battlefield right so and he's gonna go back though he's gonna run back and just say i'm really pissed off but we're gonna rally the troops we're gonna stick to the plan it opens it up for first an arrow attack and secondly a cavalry charge okay. because ramsey is right or uh, john was right that only one of them had to die and uh if ramsey can take out john right now one-on-one yeah it's it's over for the wildlings i mean they don't have anybody to rally behind right they have no reason to keep fighting. And it, uh, so what you see is this almost comedic first moment where a bunch of arrows come down and Rickon, who's already dead and has kind of been a loser in this TV show. He gets like four more arrows in the chest. <laughs> Eight more arrows, yeah. Does a volley rain down on so, him. So like you see, okay, an arrow, that's not so bad. I've seen, uh, you know, there's been a Grey's Anatomy episode where somebody survived an arrow attack, uh-huh. I'm sure. Right. No, I haven't seen any Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. I've seen all of them. He's seen a lot. He's seen a lot. He has a show under a pseudonym called Gray's Rays, and it talks about the rays of light that come from Gray's Anatomy. Anyways. And so you say, okay, well, maybe you might survive. <laughs> nope. No, there's He's no not chance. Survive. Just pummel. Um, but John's charging forward. He's now leading a one man attack against Volley of Arrows and an entire army. His nearest compadres, even if they start charging, are. Half a mile behind. You, you get a great shot of him. He pulls out his sword. He's kind of like, wait, the, the arrows. I just want to get this. The arrows, they volley down and they just tear apart his horse. His horse is also fell. He's now on the ground by himself. Then what happens? He takes out his sword. And he gets in a nice little squat. Uh-huh. 
and is ready to face his fate. He and what's knows, coming I'm, at him? I'm done here. There's a full cavalry charge. The front line of all of uh, Ramsey's finest men. I sure. I'm, I'm sure. Suddenly, right behind him, out of the blue, are his wildling cavalry. Boom! They're in it. They're charged. They have to. They have to. There's have no to. choice here. They got to defend John. So they are now pulled out. The cavalry. So now, just to think of our like sort of. You know, we talked about how there's these different groups of forces and they have different roles. We still got archers back on both sides. Uh-huh. We still got infantrymen sort of back on both sides. The horses, they're going to rush first. So they're going to be the fastest. So they meet directly in the middle. And it's, it's carnage. It's chaos. We get this really great long shot that's just on John and everything's just flying around. This is a massacre. Horses are getting stabbed. People are flying off of horses. There's just volleys of arrows. Ramsey's arrows men are still just shooting, raining down on anyone. He doesn't care if he kills his own men. He doesn't care if he kills anyone. Arrows are just falling from the sky. People are getting knocked off of horses. They're getting disemboweled. It is madness. And we should say, uh, taking a step back from like the in-universe show, that this is really well, it's well choreographed, well filmed. I got a great sense of the action throughout. Um, I don't know how they did a lot of it. I imagine some special effects went into a lot this. Of it, a lot of special effects. A lot of talented horses. <laughs> and yeah, a lot of great, just beautiful horses. Beautiful. Just really They're fantastic beautiful creatures. Animals. Just the paws, the hooves, They're running the in manes. unison. It's, it's fantastic. That's the sound of horses running. Clip, 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 clop, 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 clip, 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 clop, clop, clop. It's beautiful. Today's episode brought to you by Elmer's Glue, by the way. Oh, um, it hurts because it's true. Thank you for but that they, sweet, they meet sweet Elmer's money. When, uh, when John, first of all, great shot of um, him facing off with the horses in front mm-hmm. of him, uh, the cavalry charging towards him. They're going to win like 30 Emmys for this episode. Like then, every single technical Emmy possible, they're winning for this episode. I imagine. there's. I mean, there's almost nothing else on TV that, that puts and, this much effort into an episode and there's television. there's there's also, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe so, there's never really been a medieval battle that has this sort of in the fray fighting elements on this magnitude. If you like it, in television I, or in general, I, I, I think it's the, it's the first big medieval battle. I think history overall, has ever known. I think, I think overall, cause even if you think back to like a Braveheart, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but that you pretty much, you always get these overhead shots of like the, the horses colliding or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very lackluster in detail. You never have a camera in the fray as it's occurring. Oh yeah, it's like saving Private Ryan, on. but it's, yeah, meets Braveheart. It's, it's beautiful. It's it's really something to behold. I got chills. Um, okay. Anyways, back to the plot. Well, um, so this is kind of where you lose plot. Um, <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know how much it how how much we get out of describing you know take by take what's happening, other than the fact that people are getting massacred. Bodies are piling up. Horse bodies. People bodies. Bolton men. I mean, that's the whole Davos says this. Hey, we're not we're gonna hold back our arrows right. because it could strike some of our own men. It's not worth it. Yeah. So again for positioning, Davos is still at the back of the line. He's with maybe like fifty archers. He's getting ready to stress poop again. Yeah, he's he's gotta <laughs> squeeze one out. But beforehand, he has his archers knock the arrows and then he says, We can't do this. We just gotta run in and get the fray. So now suddenly they're running in. Ramsey, on the other hand, He's just knock loose, knock loose. Just fire those arrows into the fray. Anyone they hit mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Bodies are literally piling up. We have mounds and mounds and mounds and mounds and mounds of bodies piling up. And as these bodies are piling and as things are getting more bloody and messy, Ramsey still has his line of infantrymen mm-hmm. led by small John Umber. And he just says, now. 
And suddenly small John Umber says, who rules the North? Who rules the North? North. And they, they head out with, with, with their shields and they create a phalanx sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And they encircle all the infantrymen because at this point, all of the, the wildlings who are on foot finally kind of caught up. Cause again, mm -hmm. horses came out first, horses collide, then everyone's running. They've got like a half mile run. That would be exhausting. Yeah. Imagine doing a half mile run before you have to go kill someone with the sword. I get, I'd be so tired. I'd be so tired. They finally show up and then they get encircled by, by the Bolton man. I think it's pretty indicative of how Ramsey has either plotted this out or how the showrunners want us to think that Ramsey has plotted this out, that he only has to say now before everyone knows to do a very technical and specific maneuver as if this is completely planned and there's like he's just following like a checklist of what to do i think it was planned out oh it, it definitely was i think I, I mean very intentionally he said i'm just going to slaughter everybody until there is a wall of people right so we can cut off their uh their backside right and so he encircles them around with his phalanx on three sides so again what john was talking about with his pincer maneuver back in the war time how they are going to do to ramsey's forces have now been done unto them and that fourth side is just a wall of bodies that you would have to climb over. It's, it's like 15 feet high, just uh -huh. stacks and stacks of bodies. And when they do try to climb over it, uh, you start getting some small John forces. Coming from the other side, climbing coming back up. in. So they are completely encircled. And there's not much you can do about their phalanx uh, pikemen situation. Right. They have these long swords, strong guards. They've got, they've got these shields that are taller than a man. They're, they're side to side nested up. It's a complete wall shield in between them. They've got these long spears sticking out, and they're just getting the... Tormund tries. A bunch of wildlings try to break one, through. One, one, tries one tries to swap through. He grabs a guy and tears him in half. No, nothing works. Nothing works. They can't get through. So all hope is lost. John, he's in this, he's in this pile of bodies where like so many people aren't dead, but mm -hmm. they're just getting trampled constantly. Right. Kinds of, I'm not dead yet, guys. Yeah, it's, it's essentially the Monty Python, I'm not dead yet sort of situation, but they're just getting piled on. Uh, and you get a nice like him. He's breathing heavily he's trying to survive you don't know if he's going to pull through so i kind of do know he's going to pull through i read so th this scene which is kind of like a really good you'd be like oh it like stresses like the claustrophobia of this sort of like battle and fight uh i read that essentially they had something else going on but they ran out of budget and days so they were just like let's just have him get trampled and piled on and we'll make a really arty sort of compression scene because we don't have the 10 extra days in the budget to feed 500 extras uh, good. to keep doing it. And I thought it was a very effective device. And to be fair, John does, he kills enough people. Yeah, By I don't, think, I don't was, think they needed more. <laughs> it was like 17 people or something that he just slaughtered in these scenes yeah. leading up to it. And he's getting covered in blood. So he's, they're getting compressed. These three sides, they're getting closer. The Bolton guys, they lift their shield, they take three steps forward and they smash them down. Uh, small John is now in there with Tormund. They're fighting back and forth. Everyone is also just breathing so heavily. They're so tired. Again, just watching this, I got tired because it seems so exhausting. <laughs> to swing a sword even like once or twice would have me just, I would need a nap. I would need, I would need some biscuits. I'd need something to relax, a sweet tea to gain my energy back. But they're still fighting at it. But they're doomed, right? They're surrounded. Uh -huh. What's going to happen, Tony? Oh, they're all going to die. Okay, great. Let's but, wrap it, it up. So I just want to, uh, you, you said sweet. Yeah. That makes me, uh, try, I'm trying to think of a character in Game of Thrones with Sweet in his name. Okay. Is it? Is Mr. It, Sweet? Mr. Sweet? Sweet Torment? No. No, no, no. That, Sweet John. Sweet, uh, no, no, that's close. Sweet Snow? Sweet, no, that's also not right. That's right, Sweet Robin. Oh, Sweet, Lord of sweet the veil. Robin. Oh, <laughs> uh, and what do we know about the veil? We know that they have essentially avoided 
any sort of battle since Robert's Rebellion. Incredibly uh, well-trained troops. On horseback. army. The knights. They're all knights. They are, they are very adept, led by Prince Royce, whatever his name is. And they are under Littlefinger's command. Mm. In a couple of episodes, didn't we have that scene where Sansa looked at a raven and said, hey, I could oh, send a raven. I could send a raven. We don't know who she wrote it to, but of course it was... It was Littlefinger. Little little are you doing your Littlefinger whisper? Yeah, that's my voice. I am Littlefinger. Sansa. 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 And so we see, we see Sansa. Sansa. No, I didn't do it right. Sansa. Sansa. <laughs> On horseback with Baelish as the Lords of the Vale trumpet their way onto the sea. <laughs> and they totally break the, the... They break the line. They break the phalanx. Yeah, they break the ranks. And run over all of these yeah uh, they just mow them down it's kind of like you would imagine like a car hitting a bunch of mice (laughs) (laughs) they just plow through them so and uh ramsey's still back and he's watching this and he's back with his arrow man and like one other guy and he's thinking oh Oh, this is this didn't quite work out the way i did not expect it and uh that's all we kind of really see of baelish and sansa right that's the only shot we get but they're 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 kind of together they're, watching they're, it all they're, happen. They're, they're like fr- they're on a hill. The Knights of the Vale they just come over the hill. Now, Tony, I've got a couple of questions for you. Okay. Do you Shoot. think? Okay. So go ahead with your questions. I can I. Start I'm now? ready. Okay. So I'm gonna ask this question. You have first. a question? I'm, yeah. Just okay. Go ahead. Do we have time for two? Yeah. Okay. So the first I'll question. Allow it. Okay. The first question I've got here for you is back in the war tent, Sansa never mentions that she's got Littlefinger up her sleeve. Do you, do you think this is a strategic maneuver on her part, essentially to withhold this information from John, or is this something that she should have provided to him? So the one, this is a good question. So Sansa keeps on saying, hey, we need more men. Right. And he says, well, we, John says, well, we don't have any more men. Correct. Pause. Great time for Sansa to mention, hey, no, actually, we do have more men. They're right. on the way. I wrote yeah. a letter to Baelish, and Baelish is going to bring the Knights of the Vale. Right. So why wouldn't she mention that Baelish even might bring the Knights of the Vale, right. which would be a great reason to delay even one or two days. One day, yeah. yeah, Or even a couple hours, as it were, because yeah. that seemed to be enough time to save himself significant uh, strife. The only thing I can think of is what Baelish mentioned, which is uh, John is her half-brother. They haven't spent much time together. We actually haven't really seen them together since season one, and even mm-hmm. then, they weren't together. They were sitting at separate tables. Sansa had no interest in being with her low and no, uh, no love bastard for him. brother. There, there was some bad blood between them. So they don't really know each other. Uh, maybe that had something to do with it. No, that's all I have. I mean, what else? Why else so would she have said anything? So my, my theory is kind of going along the lines of there, there's not a lack of trust or there's a lack in trust for him to have the wisdom or the emotional restraint to do the right thing. In my mind, what happens is if she says, you know, we have the Knights of the Vale, then the Knights of the Vale are just additional forces in that first cavalry charge. And they're just other people, you know, there might be a bunch of them. It might be an overwhelming number. It might help turn the tide in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But I think we end up in that same situation if Jon Snow had known about them. I don't, because again, anything, any sort of str- strategy he throws to the wind, he mm-hmm. abandons when he makes this charge. And so I think, or at least this might be just the Sansa apologist in me, would be to say that she is acting, knowing, and kind of tying off the line, like, no one can protect anyone from anything. 
that she's taking it into her own hands, that she at least controls this force. She has the ability to deliver them onto the field when she thinks is appropriate. And by having them come from the side and being outside of that tight, after Ramsey has played all his cards, is the only way that they can essentially wipe them out with their backs turned to the Knights of Vale. I see. I I don't see the the if she is on John's side, if she's interested at all in um, working with him or protecting him, which that that kind of gives a little credence to what you're saying. Sure. Um, I don't buy that she would she wouldn't mention anything. It just seems uh, strange that you don't mention anything unless you are very suspicious of John and you kind of want to control things. Right. So I'd agree with that. There there is a lack of trust, and and I think that John demonstrated that. Uh, he does know nothing at this point because despite no. oh, Tony disagrees, he thinks he thinks he ran that battle. Well, I think I think he he put a lot of people's lives in danger for reasons that were purely emotional in a skirmish that is essentially emotional, purely claim. emotional. Yeah. Uh, anyways, and we're going back to that Tyrion line. It's kind of abstract, isn't it? Other people dying <laughs> for your your claims. Mm-hmm. Um, OK. That was my first question. My second question, you said you have time for two. Are you still oh, got ahead. time yeah. for two? So then Hit I'm me. just thinking about the logistics of this. Were the Knights of the Vale just kind of waiting behind the hill for the right moment? Because, you know, when they travel, they don't travel like that. They're not always at a full-on gallop just mm-hmm. waiting to get to the battle. They probably had to get into lines, hide behind the hill, wait for the moment, and then someone said, charge! And then, yeah. then is that what happened? What? They're just waiting for the right moment? Why didn't they come out earlier? This is a good question, and I, I don't have the answer, and that's what we're going to have to see. That's one of the intriguing things this sets up. Mm-hmm. Where were the knights? What were they doing? How did, what did Sansa know going into the battle? Because she appears right when they charge in a with very— Baelish. With, with Baelish. With right Baelish, right there. So it's she, not like she, she was sitting on the, the lines. Yeah. Right. It's not like she was watching the battle with everyone else. She left and went to go hang out with Baelish because right. she knew what his movements and were. And that means that there had been some form of communication back and forth. Hey, let's meet by this stump behind this This is where this we're hill. attacking. Yeah. Come, come from behind here and surprise yeah. them. Yeah, exactly. Um, but surprise them so late that the only people, the only person with a significant army in the north are... Is Baelish. Baelish yeah. and, and Sansa. So, so it's we, a pair. Let, let's get to this as we, as we kind of go through the next couple steps because there's a couple of other, other mm-hmm. pieces in this final sequence, right? So we have John, Tormund, and one one. They climb the pile of bodies. They see Ramsay. Ramsay and his arrow boy. They prance back to Winterfell. And, and Ramsay says, "You know, uh, they don't have an army." And the arrow boy says, "We don't have an army." He says, "We have Winterfell. This is the perfect like this yeah. is the, like you said before. It's the perfect place for a siege. We're gonna weigh it out." They get a knock on the door, and who's there? One one, one 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 is there, <laughs> and uh, he's knocking pretty hard, isn't he? Right through the door. Right through the door. Uh, speaking of Kramer entrances. Yeah. Smashes <laughs> through the door. This goes like right Like the Kool-Aid in. man. Yeah, exactly. Though, unfortunately, it does not last long after breaking down the door. Okay. So another question, or maybe just food for thought. Mm-hmm. So we see one one, and he is just blanketed in arrows, right? But he's strong. He's a giant. I mean, we know he's very tall, and he's very big. So arrows are like small things. But I thought about this kind of if we like scale things down. So let's say he's a giant, and an arrow is like, a foot and a half long. If we scale them down to our size, that's kind of like having like six inch spikes sticking out of our heads and our shoulders all the time. I would be pretty incapacitated if I had a, but that's like the worst acupuncture session ever. Right. But he is not deterred until he finally breaks down the gate. Mm-hmm. And we actually, if we go back to, you know, the episode that you mentioned before, back in season four, uh, where the wildlings attack the wall, we have another giant, the king of the giants. His, I don't know their relation to one one, but he goes through the gate at the at the bottom of the wall through the tunnel, and 
tears down a gate and then dies. So we kind of have a parallel to giants bringing down gates and then immediately being killed by the forces on the other side. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting because one one unfortunately meets his end. We've got Rickon and one one are are two 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 dearly beloved. Oh, and sadly uh, going lost. off the giants breaking down doors, we have another giant who held a door. Oh. Or, or hold, hold it the door. Hold it a door. Hold it a door. Hold it a door. What if his name was Hodador? <laughs> because he held it a door. <laughs> or Hedor, because he held the door. So, yes, and, and he has giants, but a lot of, lot of door themes going on. So, one one opens the gate. A couple of their forces kind of flood in. Immediately, there's, there's only like a, a small force of, of Bolton men still in Winterfell. They're easily overpowered. Ramsey delivers the final arrow that goes right through one one's eyes right before John's about to put his hand out and touch him. Mm. And then Ramsey says, Hey, you know, that one-on-one combat thing, maybe we should uh, try yeah, that on for size. It sounds like a good idea. So, about right. so how does the scene play out? Tell me what happens. I love this scene. I thought it was great. So, uh, they broke through the castle. Yeah. Uh, Stark men come and they overpower the Bolton forces. It basically ends up being, a couple, couple Stark, not Stark men, wildlings, really. Yeah. Um, John's forces. John's forces. Ramsey in the courtyard of Winterfell, and they decide to face off. He, John, seems to agree. Hey, let's actually fight. Ramsey, his weapon of choice here, bow and arrow. Bow and arrow. John still has his sword, mm-hmm. and he has a. Uh, does he actually have his sword? He, he he drops his sword. I believe he might have dropped his sword. Never mind. But he does have a Long shield. Longclaw is MIA. He, Hopefully not in that pile of bodies. That's a Valyrian <laughs> steel blade. That's pretty important. It, it'll be a while to clean that up. Yeah. Um, and so he, he takes up the shield. He blocks the couple arrows that Ramsey shoots he, at him. He's, he's not doing a fully defensive position where he just holds it over his head. He's keeping it down at his waist. And then as Ramsey lets loose a bolt in, he mm-hmm. throws up his shield and blocks it. Until he's close enough to uh, knock him down to the ground mm-hmm. and start punching him. Fist to Palooza. Over. Just starts fisting Ramsey. And over. Fist after fist. And over. And so he, he beats him to death, presumably? No, you kind of get a little shot of Sansa watching. So somehow she got all the way from up on the hill uh-huh. over here into Winterfell. That's amazing. She's very quick. She, know, she knows where the action's at. That's true. She likes... Uh, Getting in the in the right spot the at the fray. right stage yeah. a little bit. Yep. John decides to stop. Yeah, he kind of has this moment where he looks and he realizes, and I don't know how this is possible, but despite well, it's all like of this how battle, you know how you know people are watching you. Right. Like when somebody's looking at you, it's you like kind of get the sense, hey. And and I thought there was a look that's essentially John admitting he's not mine to kill. He's he's Sansa's to slay. You like, have somebody somebody has some unfinished business here. Right. We gotta it, this show's not going to continue unless this loose end is tied. Yes. Okay. And so uh, Sansa comes up to him. Um, I think there's a cut. Sansa there's comes a cut. up and says, hey, uh, they, I mean, they're cleaning up bodies in Winterfell. You get the sense. I think they, they pull down the Stark banners. You get a nice scene of uh, Stark banners coming down the walls of Winterfell. Yeah. There's Bolton a Stark in Winterfell ground, now. Yeah. Um, Stark's back in town, and even Sansa though said, no one's name is actually Stark anymore. Oh. Uh, what happened to... Well, there's no reason Sansa couldn't lead a house in the north if Lyanna Mormont is. Right, but she has technically been married. So she, oh, that's right. Yeah, she's really... Well, she's been married twice, but her second marriage was consummated. Divorced. Now she's a single lady, but I, I don't know how the names... This is one of those technicalities where it's like, is she back to Sansa Stark or is she now Sansa Bolton 
even though there are no Boltons. That's true. Yeah, she might be the only Bolton left. She's yeah, she's the only Stark and only Bolton, <laughs> except for Arya. Um, and she says, "Hey, what happens to Ramsay? What happened to Ramsay? Yeah, where is he?" And then we get a nice another cut. Ramsay is tied up in a little dark room. Yeah. You don't know if it's. I mean, as an audience member, you have two ideas. It's going to be either the dungeon where he uh, tortured Theon. Yep. His little torture space, or it's going to be the dog pound where he a kennel fed. Uh, the dog pound is how I prefer with a, a D A W G. Um, <laughs> What's up, dogs? And uh, we get a little outwardness where I mean, it's where he killed Waldo. And uh, yes, who else? A, the, a lot of people. It's where there. Theon yeah. was captured in the corner, and they had a face down between uh, Yara and and him, and he let the dogs out. The the dogs, his hounds, have been very critical to his identity as being because he makes them do his dirty work for him. There's there's a sweet sweet irony in what's about to occur. And Sansa talks to him briefly. He mm-hmm. says, "She have says just a casual chat." <laughs> basically, say, uh, "Ramsay, you're done. Your 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 house is done. You're dead." Everything, no one's going to remember you. Right. You're going to be wiped off this earth. And he says, well, no, actually, you're going to remember me. I'm going to be a part of you. I will remember you. Will you remember me? Don't let my death make me forget you, Sansa. My name is... Ramsey Bolton. And Sansa also brings up, or uh, Ramsey also brings up, that uh, this whole, this Sansa's idea here isn't going to work, which is his dogs aren't going to eat him. No They're way. loyal beasts. They're they nice. understand, hey, They're his Ramsey's dogs. my, they would Ramsey's never betray. my boy. They would never betray me. And uh, does that pan out? It does not, because <laughs> he, in order to get them ready for the fight to make them extra ferocious, he starved them for a week. So they will eat anything, and Ramsay is covered in blood. So we get this really nice scene of one hound kind of coming up on his lap, kind of in like a fun way that you'd have with a dog. He gives him like a little lick, then mm-hmm. he's tasting the blood, and then we just get face grab, and all the other hounds jump in. So Ramsay, he meets his final end, being torn apart by his own hounds. Fantastic. Good stuff. Great uh, resolution. Sansa watches. I actually, when it happened initially, when the first bite went in, I looked away. But then, you know, it cuts back to Sansa. you were ashamed. It cuts back to Sansa uh, looking on and kind of being happy about it. Yeah, as she has a little smile. Little smile and then roll credits. Like I said, Dark Sansa. Dark Sansa. She's dark here. Sansa. She's fierce. Get used to it. All right. So we've got that. We've talked about the Battle of the Bastards. Let's move on. What um, are we going to do next, Tony? Well, any additional analysis here? Nope. Okay. <laughs> Good. Great. Fantastic. <laughs> Me neither. Do we want to do connection? See how this connects back to uh, the the other episode. Certainly, season five, episode one, the wars to come. So nearly nineteen episodes ago, we're going back in time. In this episode, there there were a couple connections that I thought were were particularly a, a, of mm-hmm. note. Uh, the first one being is this is right after in in the the season finale of the last season, season four, Tyrion kills Tywin. And so we now see Tyrion sort of on the run. He's been smuggled out of King's Landing with Varys, and he's in Pentos with Varys, and he's drinking. He's now on the booze path because he's very upset about this whole situation with both Shay being dead and having killed his father. And it's essentially the point at which Tyrion is presented by Varys. The idea of Tyrion still has a role to play, a purpose to play, and it's in helping govern for the real person who should be on the Iron Throne. 
and he has this thing where it's like, oh, who, what, what guy could do this? And he said, I never said it. Barrett says, I never said a guy, whatever, whatever that yeah. line was. But it, it's essentially this introduction to Tyrion's quest to then become a helper, a um, guiding factor, and a guiding force in Danny's conquest. So I thought it's interesting to see, you know, here we have coming back after he's been tested a little bit and not necessarily being chastised by Danny in the episode we had, but actually helping to navigate and govern uh, within the confines of Marine, but also kind of helping out Danny the Conqueror in this situation as she's, uh, you know, riding out in Drogon. So we have sort of like a start to uh, now we actually have all the forces in play in our most recent episode, and we're seeing what's happening there. Uh, the one thing I, I uh, really pulled from the episode is that in the prologue, the opening scene, which is involves Cersei meeting the witch Maggie in the mm-hmm. in the woods. Yep, it's a very strange moment in the season and the show in general. It this does is not the seem only be... ever flashback that they've done that hasn't been through using Bran as a as a plot device, mm. and it it doesn't seem connected to anything. It's where where the witch tells her a couple of things. Her and the king will have 20 children, but she'll, only three will survive. No, only three will be hers. Oh, The only, king will have 20 children, but only three will be hers. There you go. Somebody was paying attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, all her children will have gold crowns. Yes. So either two ways to interpret that. One, they're going to actually wear the crown, or two, they're going to have blonde hair. Right. Which we know is true. Gold, they're burial shrouds. So they're going to be married, or they're going to die as blonde, Both. kingly people right and presumably before cersei does correct and then though she will be queen a younger and more beautiful queen is fated to take her place right so that that's our marjorie yes. in play uh, which we know to have occurred so of, of these things if we're doing our checklist of this prophecy first things first robert had the 20 bastards we know that he liked to whore around mm-hmm. she had three kids they were gold of hair because she had them with jamie and only three would be hers so th- that makes sense. Now, the burial strats, we've got two kids dead. We've got Marcella and we've got Joffrey. Tommen's still out there. Mm-hmm. So mm, we might, might see a death yet to come then if this pro- prophecy is all that it's uh, supposed to be. And then the third one, of course, being that the younger queen will take over. We have Marjorie taking over. And we have the, correct me how to say this, Valencar prophecy here. Yeah, I think that's right. The idea that um, Cersei is going to be killed by not the not the queen who replaces her, but by her younger brother. Right. And who would her younger brother be? Uh, Tyrion is probably who she thinks. Right. But it also could be Jamie. Because I mean, twins Jamie, don't come out at the same time. Nope. Jamie followed her out of the womb, That's holding right. her foot. We we know that to be true. So anything else you pulled from this episode? We we have a scene with um Baelish. Um essentially he's sitting outside and Sansa's they're in the veil. We see sweet Robin, um sort of playing around and Royce is trying to train him and uh, Baelish gets a mysterious raven and then decides that they need to leave and he tells everyone that they're going to the fingers to explore but this is setting into the motion him bringing Sansa back to Winterfell so that she may be wed to the Boltons uh, to to Ramsay specifically so again this is sort of the beginning of this process of Sansa being sent off to be tortured by Ramsay being Mm. married to him then sort of elevating herself, becoming sort of strategist and thinker on her own, becoming her own woman, and then coming full circle all the way down to Ramsey's death. So again, it's, it's setting things in motion. Another thing that I think we saw at the beginning of is I, this is the first episode that we saw the Sons of the Harpy. Uh, one of the um, Unsullied kind of goes and spends time with a prostitute, not to make love, but to just mm-hmm. kind of have a casual cuddle. 
and uh, one of the sons of the harpy kills uh, him. Yeah. And this is the first time we see that distinctive gold mask. And I think it's I think it's fair to say that this episode, uh, this the most recent Battle of the Bastards episode, is probably the last time we see the sons of the harpy. Yeah, they seem like I they think, were I there were around they're... fifteen of them and their masks masks in the Dothraki horde. Took care of them. So yeah, this episode uh, it's not quite direct, but I think it wraps up most of the marine storyline. I think what's to come is heading west and seeing Euron. So I've got a question for you. I've got a lot of questions today, Tony. If Danny leaves Marine, uh huh, we know that when she left Astapor and when she left Yunkai, she left a power vacuum that let the cities be retaken by the existing powers that be there. Mm-hmm. Some of the slaves became masters, and the masters became slaves. Existing slaves are recaptured. Slavery was reinstated. What's going to happen if she just ups and abandons Marine? Is she going to maintain a stronghold there? What, what's the strategy here? Is she is her only target Westeros and the Seven Kingdoms, and she's willing to just leave the people of Marine to their own devices as she moves on? So uh, yeah, Tyrion talks about this a little bit, which is, uh, you know, if we have one free city hold up, then that's going to be an example for the rest of them that free cities can exist, and you don't need masters. Yeah, but. Is Marine actually going to hold up? Was it not a free city while she was still ruling it? And did that not provide enough example for everyone else that you could have a, a free city without it, masters? It showed that there was a ripe opportunity for inside terrorist insurrection to or, take or, the whole thing apart. Yeah, or, or in those moments where she did liberate them and there weren't masters, was that not enough of an example? Right. I think within the show's logic, uh, Tyrion kind of tidily wrapped it up with his um, Red Priestesses preaching about how great Danny is right. and Marine's economy being on the rise before this master attack. But um, you're right to raise this point. It doesn't necessarily make sense or follow within the and, things that have happened within the show. Right. And who's going to sit in that seat of power in Marine? If oh, Tyrion, do you have a hypothesis here? I, I, I do not. No. Okay. I, I, I think it's a, and it's something that's not explored in the books yet. So this is completely off script. We're kind of up to interpretation. Uh, in terms of what may occur here. It's just something that's very pressing on my mind because it's something that they've belabored so long that essentially, because while they've been having Danny in this holding mm. pattern while she's doing this walkabout, it's always been about what are the politics of Marine? What are the politics of Marine? Like you said, this episode seems to wrap things up, but if they're just moving onwards and west, then it seems like all of that work in terms of like political turmoil and local insurrection and understanding the populace is just completely undone if there's just going to be left a power vacuum there. I wouldn't be surprised if we're left a power vacuum and they just move on. They just don't explore it. Yeah, right. I mean, well, what does marine matter in the in the end game? We're talking about the it, it doesn't, but I'm yeah. I'm I'm foc- I told you Fighting my the theme dead. the the little people, the little people. Something else uh I I also want to point out is that in the same episode we had battles of both ice and fire. There you go. Okay. That's true. Okay. What's our next section? I'm done with connections. Are you? Uh, yeah. Who, who won the week this week? A um, lot of choices. A lot of choices. Do you want to lay out some potential options? So first we do regional winners. Let's just clarify that. Okay. We have um, a lot of options here. I'm, so one of them was Winterfell. Right. And the other one was uh, uh, my, my, my. Marine. Okay. So there's two. So there there's you go. Two, two, two options. Yeah. There um, you go. I'm going to say that the, the winner of this week was Marine. Okay. And I am also going to say uh, Winterfell. Okay, so that's not also saying, yeah. <laughs> that's saying something else. Okay, my rationale for Marine is that I think that there were the most dragons there, and they wrapped it up in a, in a tight 10 minutes. Tight 10 minutes, yeah. They didn't need all the fighting. They really just, the dragons really just had to take out one Low boat. casualty war, low casualty battle. 
Okay, your justification for Winterfell? Well, it's just filmed so well. It was beautiful. It, it was really beautiful. was. It was Those horses. Oh, beautiful animals. Beautiful animals. You know who beautiful animal, animal we didn't see this week? Ghost. Ghost. Where was he? <sighs> Why didn't he eat apart Ramsey? We'll talk about this in a second. Okay, what's now? Okay, so who won the week? Who won the week? Who's your personal winner? My personal this winner? This time it's personal. This time it's personal. Giving it to Drogon. Staying with my theme of Marine, I think Drogon carried the most weight. Specifically, Amelia Clark, Danny Targaryen, Stormborn, Unburnt, Breaker of Trains, Queen of the Andals, and the First Man. I think he carried the most weight. He inspired Viserion and Radar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not his name. Radar, yeah. No, go ahead. Viserion Keep going. and Radar to come out of their stone areas, tomb, whatever it would be. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were locked in, right? They were yeah. unchained, but still locked in. Inspired them to come out and uh, attack. Really a pack leader. And man, he's on fire. All right. So I got to give it to Sansa this week. Okay. Sansa. Sansa. She, she came out of nowhere with all the forces of the veil. Yeah. And she, she was right at the front with them. So I think she kind of has a, a little bit of power right now in the north. Mm-hmm. And I think she's going to be the one ruling the, uh, running the, run the place. Run the show. Run the show. All right. Good stuff. What's our next section? Who's going to die? Who is going to die? So, Tony, you know yeah. me well. Blake. We're close, close friends. Of course. On this show, I've said something many times before, and it's been wrong. I've said it's going to be Baelish that's going to die. Yeah. Six weeks ago, I said Baelish. Uh-huh. Five weeks ago, I said Baelish. Four weeks ago? Baelish. Three weeks ago, also Baelish. Last week, Baelish. And you know what this week is? Baelish? It's Baelish. That's right. Bingo. This is finally going to be the one. We got him back in the action. He's going to come back. He's going to be greedy. He's going to say, I want all the forces. My forces are great. <laughs> um, I, have the, I have the only knights. No one else can stand me. He's going to say, I'm getting super pervy and rapey around Sansa. I, of course, I wanted to marry you. You knew that. Let's get married. Mm-hmm. Da, 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 da. And I want to be Lord of Winterville and finally Warren of the North, which is something he's been scheming for a while. Back when he was doing some plotting with Cersei, um, she was going to guarantee him to be more of the North. It's something he's had his eyes on for a while, as well as sort of having domination of... Of Sansa. Of Sansa. Really creepily. Yeah, as, as a follow-through from wanting to dominate Catelyn. It's, it's in the thing. It's going to happen. And then Sansa's going to turn and kill him. So I like, or I don't like, rather... I don't okay. like uh, Euron's odds next week. Oh, okay. Uh, they mentioned Euron. They set the stage for him to arrive with his additional ships that uh-huh. might give them a little padding for right. uh, what Tyrion says. Very close. Very close. But if we had a couple more of Euron's ships. just packed everyone in. Um, and uh, the way him and Yara talk about, or um, Danny and Yara talk about Euron, it's not looking good for him, especially with this show's uh, recent uh, predilection in the East to just wrap things up and send it yeah. west. Exactly. So well, I think he might he might appear just like the on you know cutscene whatever, uh, not on screen or off screen I should say, and die pretty quickly. I think I think that'd be totally acceptable. Uh, I think that my choice is better. Um, but you okay, know what? Uh, fair enough. So you I'm gonna what? pick a champion for next week. You know it's what? gonna be Peter Baelish. You know what? You're on. <laughs> my champion next week is Peter Baelish. Okay, you think he's gonna? Uh, he's definitely gonna rule the roost up in the north. So you've got some different theories. All right. Yeah, Correct I, I really, I'm gonna say he's with Sansa here. Sansa, I, I like this week. Baelish, I like next week. I think he's got quite a bit up his sleeve, as mm-hmm. he typically does. He's got um, long sleeves. As you, as you mentioned, 
he already talked with Cersei about uh, different ways where he can take over the North from the Vale. Sure. Um, now he controls the Vale and all of its forces. He's got the only significant army in the North. Correct. Basically, everybody, either like the Glovers were decimated by the wars previously, mm-hmm. or they threw their men into this fight. Right. And, and, and again, we, it's, it's something important to think about, like dwindling forces. Like when we had this battle last year, you know, the Boltons had a lot more men and Stannis killed a good chunk of them. Mm-hmm. So they had this dwindling force. Everyone's really tired. The people from the Vale, this is their first battle that they've been in. And they were just doing cleanup work since Robert's Rebellion. So they haven't been touched by this whole new battle of the five. And teams. they've actually been building up. Right. They've been training. Uh, they've been Lysa- doing a montage nonstop. Lysaren was crazy and thought they were going to be under attack any yes. minute. So yeah, they're in good shape. Champion. Okay. Well, you know who my champion is. It's going to be Ghost. Didn't see him this episode, but a beautiful animal, let me tell you. And you know what? Before I said that Sansa was going to kill Baelish, I think Ghost is going to get a bite. We're going to have a great scene. They're going to be in front of the weirwood tree. It's going to be about the marriage time. People will be like, say the words of the seven. They're going to be like, the mother, the crone, the brother, the Jumanji. Everyone's getting together. And then Ghost is just going to leap out of nowhere and just take a big old uh, knife and stab Peter Baelish once (laughs) in the stomach, which we know, fatal hit. Fatal hit. Ghost One is my champion. Kill. Beautiful animal. Let me tell you. Flanks, paws, nose, ears. Great, great beast. Okay, let's head to the Wheel of Thrones. All right, let's spin it. As you know. All right, it's set. Oh, it's gone. One more tick. Where did it land, Tony? The ninth episode. Ever? Yeah, of the season show. One season episode. one, episode nine. What happens in season one, episode nine? Uh, guys, spoilers. Okay. When With Sansa's life in danger, Ned makes a fateful decision. Works out well. Catelyn brokers an unsavory deal with the slippery Walter Frey. Works wow. out well. Tyrion acquires a mistress and is forced by his father to fight on the front lines. Works out well. Works out well. <laughs> Rob wins his ma- first major victory and captures a prized prisoner. Keeps him. <laughs> Works out well. John is rewarded for his valor and discovers a dark secret about Maester Aemon. Neutral. Wait, is the dark secret that he's a Targaryen? Yeah. That's the dark secret? Yeah, well, Targaryens are kind of, you know, frowned upon. They were all banned. He, he technically is a rightful ruler of the... Yeah, I'm, but he's not... Wrong, well, so. he can't I mean, be because he's a Maester and he took the black, but... Okay, I guess... So, ignoring those things. That is an interesting point, that at this time, that's considered a dark secret. Fair enough. As Khal Drogo's wounds fester, Daenerys defies his blood rider, Kotho, Mm -hmm. and puts her trust in the enslaved witch, Miramaz Dur. Wow. Works out well. Works out well. Works out well. Well, this is going to be one action-packed episode. I can't wait to compare it to the final episode of season six of the wonderful show, Game of Thrones. But let's have one more section here. Okay. All we right. have a very special uh, additional section this okay. week. What are we going <laughs> to... It's our honorary Game of Thrones. It's a show we're watching. Yeah. But it... Game of Thrones in memoriam section. All right. This week we're highlighting uh, one person who passed away who we felt particularly connected to. Deeply. We want to give a little extra to. moment of silence for this person. Who's your pick this week? My pick. And there were many to choose from. There was Ted the Unworthy, Scabby the Blistered. Oh, Blistered the Blistered. Blistered the Blistered. Herp the Herpes, Chaz the Dog, 
all these men who were not mentioned in the main series, but died Chad, Chad in the, the dog fight. is a man? <laughs> yes. I want that back. No, because he's such a dog. He's a oh, rascal. He's a rascal. Uh, all these men who died. Dog. That's right. It's like you know him, see? All these men who died along with the thousands of other human beings that died in this episode. How many would you say it was? I think around give or take 5,000 people at least died it's gotta in this episode. Be. It, was, it was crazy. Mountains of bodies. And we talked about the number of... Four, there's not many people left in them. Just thousands of people dead. So you know what? I say in memoriam to the low people, to the people fighting other people's battles, to the people, the abstract folks who are dying um, because of other highborn people's skirmishes. To them, I give you a moment of silence. I got to give it to Rickon. Okay. Who's that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> let's, let's let him. He had his moment to shine. Finally, this episode, he's waited five, six years for... for five, six seasons to for, be on screen. For, for really to, just to have his um, big shot, his, his, his one big line. And does he just run with that line? Oh, he ran... He ran with it, just indeed. straight along, just in a in into arrow fire. There was no stopping him, except for arrows. Congrats, you true-born heir of Winterfell. We hardly knew ye. Let's give him a moment of silence now. All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of Watching the Thrones. We'll be back next week to talk about the final episode, the the last episode they're ever gonna make. Of Game of Thrones. Let's hope. <laughs> Hopefully our jobs will be finished. We don't get paid enough for this shit. <laughs> I'm your host, Blake J. Graham. And I'm Tony the Dreadwolf Russo. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Watching the Thrones, a product of Hot Air Radio. Your hosts are Blake J. Graham and Tony J. Russo. This episode was produced by Wallace the Labrador, who's always a good boy. With theme music by the shape-shifting Dreadnought Self. You can find more Watching the Thrones on Twitter at Hot Air FM. If you liked what you heard, subscribe. We'll make it worth your while.